Hello, it's Todd here on Summer Valley FM. I'm at Montacute House. I'm with Kim, the collections and house officers of the house. Kim, thank you very much for joining me today. No, you're welcome. Um, Kim, can you just give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself and the, the house in general as well? Yeah, so um, I started working for the National Trust about six years ago. Um, I've worked at various different properties, so Laycock, Tinsfield, Durham, and I'm now based at Montacute. So the house was built by Edward Phillips. Uh, we think it was completed in 1601, so it's a late Elizabethan house. It's a really interesting house from an architectural perspective, but also also from um, the perspective of looking at the history of the time um, in the crossover period between um, Elizabeth's reign and James I's reign. Um, Edward was a prominent lawyer. He um, took part in the prosecution of Sir Walter Raleigh, um, who was subsequently removed of his head. Um, he also <laughs> um, he was also the opener for the prosecution in the trial of Guy Fawkes um, in 1606 after the failed attempt at the gunpowder plot of 1605. Um, he served in the court of James I, um, rising to the roles of Speaker of the House of Commons. Um, and Master of the Rolls, which was the second most senior judge in the country. Um, he made all of his money through the law um, and used his money to, to build Montague House, which is a um, is very much in the style of the Elizabethan period, um, and it's right at that crossover, so it's kind of one of the last great houses to be built in this style um, from that from that time. Um, after that, we start to see more Jacobean housing appearing, um, which is a very different architectural style. Um, the house is built of hamstone, which is really beautiful orange golden colour, and it really shines when you hit the sunlight hits it properly. Um, and it's um, got a huge amount of glass. Um, windows, on the, particularly on the frontage, which is him um, making a statement of wealth. Um, to anybody who passes by his house, they would have seen the amount of glass and realised how wealthy he was and that he was somebody um, that was kind of prominent in the country. Perfect. Thank you very much, Kim. So, you said it's, it's a very late Elizabethan house because we're literally on the pre-verge of yeah. Jacobean period. Yeah. So, um, yeah. uh, has a massive input. As you said, it has a massive input on the house because yeah. if it had been built in the Jacobean era, completely different design. Yep. Kim was nice enough to walk me around the house <laughs> before the visitors swarmed in. So I, I actually got to look at the house um, pre-visitor mode as well. And there are, as you'll see, when you walk around Montague House, there are a lot of reminders of the law and order that the, the owner of the house um, like to remind his guests of. Yeah. Um, particularly in the library. So Kim will tell you yeah. about the um, the archway in the library it has got a very specific uh, phrase in Latin, which I'm not going to try and pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to try and pronounce it so the, um, in the, when you go through the door into the library, you actually pass through a wind porch, which is basically a kind of um, a doorway within a doorway so that you can kind of shut off and add additional privacy. Um, it was originally not in the library. We think it was originally downstairs in what is now the parlour, um, which would have, would have served as sort of Edward's main office area. Um, and as you would have left the room, you'd have turned around and go back through this wind porch and seen um, the, the Latin, it's um, my terrible pronunciation, I apologise, <laughs> hoc age, um, which is spelled A-G-E as in age, but it basically translates as do this, so it's him reminding people that he's passed judgment and they must do what he has told them. Which, again, you know, I, there, are, there are parts in history where I'd love to go to, but one of them being not that one. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. Do, do, I, I like doing what I'm told, but half the time I forget I had to do what I was told, so, so I don't think I would do very well. <laughs> I would probably end up being the one in the tower or with my head chopped <laughs> But there are so many things in this house that, um, so uh, you, uh, the... The, the family came into the money because of his roles in the, the yeah. law, and, par law yeah. and parliament. Yeah, so the family were a middling gentry family um, in the Somerset area, um, serving in various different positions. Um, 
through Somerset, Dorset and sort of the surrounding areas. Um, but Edward is the youngest son um, and his father leaves him the, his estate um, and has, it, has Edward educated because he kind of sees him as the most promising of his children. Um, and when he writes his will, he passes the estate on to Edward and says that it's on the provision that you pay £650 to your oldest brother, who in normal circumstances you would expect to inherit the, the sort of family estates and fortunes. Um, Edward definitely repays his father. He makes a, a very vast, vast fortune um, and is also subsequently knighted by um, by the king, James I, um, along with his son. Um, and yeah, this is him showing off his wealth, um, making making clear that he's he's made it. Um, the family don't really do anything subsequent to that of any kind of massive major note. Um, they kind of continue along in society merrily, happily, um, without attaining any great heights after Edward. Um, Robert has a kind of briefly um, interesting career and ends up in the Tower of London um, for eight months for opposing um, James's plans to marry Charles, who becomes Charles I, um, to the Spanish Infanta. Um, but but after that, they kind of just pass along in society without really doing very much um, other than living merrily in Somerset, which is a nice place to be. <laughs> Hello, I'm Todd here, back on Summer Valley FM. I'm still with Kim, the Collections and House Officers of Montacute House. We just talked about the general history of the house and um, the uh, collections that the house owns, as well as where the money comes from as well. Uh, but Kim, you showed me a particular painting within the house, which is not related to the family, I found out. Um, it does have some resemblance to Queen Elizabeth I, but it, again, it's nothing to do with Queen Elizabeth I. Um, uh, but again, yes. Do tell us yeah. about. Do tell um, us about this painting. <laughs> so the painting is quite a new painting to us. We um, we have a agreement with the National Portrait Gallery where we um, have a display of quite a large collection of their portraits, which are um, all of similar era to the house. Um, and the one that we've we received uh, in February last year, just before lockdown happened, was um, a pair of paintings of um, the Pope's. Sir William Pope painted in um, one of the paintings. He was a Knight of the Order of the Bath. Um, he's wearing very resplendent red robes um, and is painted with his house in the background. Um, but he also um, had a pe large painting of his wife commissioned. Um, so Lady Anne Pope is pictured painted as a wedding portrait, um, but she's also heavily pregnant in the painting. There was a brief um, sort of fad in the um, late 1500s, early 1600s to have your um, spouse painted whilst pregnant. Um, pregnancy was a dangerous period for a woman um, in her life. Um, and it was um, quite common at that time to have her painted whilst pregnant because if she died in childbirth, you then still had a memento of, of her. Um, she'd been married about a year when the painting was painted, um, but she's also displayed painted with the three children from her previous marriage. Um, so she was um, she was Lady Anne Wentworth uh, from her first marriage. Her first husband died of the plague, and as a woman, you kind of have to remarry to um, support yourself in um, in Elizabethan and Jacobean <laughs> society. So she is painted with her three children, and what um, William Pope is trying to say in the painting that he's had commissioned is that this is his new wife. He's painted her with his three children, which is he's trying to show that he's he's magnanimous enough to have taken on their care um, because he would have been responsible. Um, they may have been made his wards. Um, so he's trying to show that he's a magnanimous person looking after the three children from her previous marriage. He's also showing that she's actually really good breeding stock, as sort of brutal as that sounds. She has two boys and a girl from her first um, marriage. So she has 
performed her duty, provided the heir and the spare, and then another daughter as well, um, which would have been, she would have been useful for extending family connections to, in with other families through through marriage, um, as a as an adult. Um, and she's also pregnant with her first child from her new marriage. So he's saying, I have I have married somebody who's really, really good <laughs> at, at what she needs to do in, in her time period. And survive um, childbirth. And survive childbirth. And she had she had three children from her first marriage and then three children from her second marriage as well. That's Both six. times, two boys and a girl, all of whom made it to adulthood. So which is, even um, rare, which is rare. incredibly rare. Yeah, yeah. It's um it's a real real feat that she uh, she achieved what she needed to achieve in mm. kind of blunt anti-feminist terms um, as well as she did. Yeah. Um, the paintings are really, really fascinating painting. If you look at her face, she looks incredibly over being pregnant. She <laughs> looks like she's fed up with it. She's kind of like, I just like to give birth now and be done with this. Um, Stop painting me, I want to go home. <laughs> but yeah, she does very strongly resemble Elizabeth I. She did serve as one of Elizabeth I's ladies-in-waiting. Her father was oh, yes. um, so sheriff of the Tower of London. Yeah, so. my words were that. There is some relation to Queen Elizabeth So yeah, she is, she is linked to Elizabeth I yeah. in that she was one of her ladies. Um, and it's very much in her, she's in court dress. She doesn't have her hooped skirt on because um, she's too heavily pregnant at that point. So that's also an interesting aspect of the painting. It's a full length portrait. Yeah. Um, you can very, very evidently see that she's pregnant um, and her daughter is dressed as a mini version of her as well um, because there was no real separation of child fashion and adult fashion in that period. It was just, you either were dressed as a baby or you were dressed in the same sort of clothes as your parents. Um, the two boys are really interesting because they haven't yet been breached. Um, so they're still wearing um, essentially dresses, um, but they are carrying a sword or a bow and arrow to represent the fact that they are boys. <laughs> Breaching was a really important rite of passage in a boy's life. It was kind of the equivalent of um, a bar mitzvah in Jewish religion. Um, so there was there would have been a big kind of celebration and party when a boy was first put into trousers or into breeches. Um, but the dresses served a couple of purposes. It's much easier to change the nappy of a child if they're in a dress and you've only got to lift up a skirt than is if you've got to faff around with um, the hose and um, home advice there. <laughs> breeches that they were that they would have been wearing. And also disguising your boys as as girls is a safety measure. We're in a society. You have to remember we're living in a society at that time when kidnapping of children for ransom was not not uncommon, common but right. it wasn't uncommon either yeah. particularly from wealthy families so you would want to disguise your child um, until he's old enough to be able to kind of fight for him fight for himself so breaching would usually happen any time between the age of sort of six and, and nine ten um, depending on the child and the family um, and it's a really interesting contrast because on the opposite side of the staircase we've got a painting of Sir Walter Raleigh with his son who has just been breached so there's a real nice contrast between these two boys that are still very much little children and the concept of um, Walter Raleigh's son becoming a man um, and being put into trousers for the first time. Hello, it's Todd here, back on Summer Valley FM. I'm still with um, Kim, the collections and house offices of Montague House, uh, which is where we are right now. We're sitting one, in one of the private gallery rooms. And uh, Montague House actually has something very unique, meaning uh, it was something that was unchanged during when the house was first uh, built, which is actually called the Long Gallery. I was calling it the Long Hallway. <laughs> As Kim is allowed to remind me, it's actually called the Long Gallery, which is literally right next to us. I mean, we can't say it right now because the door's closed, but it's right next to us where we're sat, <laughs> sat currently. Uh, but Kim, tell us about the uh, the Long Gallery, if you may. Yeah, so the Long Gallery is at the very top of the house. It's on the second floor. Um, it is the longest surviving Long Gallery in England. Uh, it's 172 feet long from window to window at either end. 
Um, there were ones that were longer, so Hever Castle, Longleat, um, all had ones that were much longer than the one we have here, um, but they don't exist in their full state. They've been either subsequently demolished or divided up into smaller spaces. Um, the Long Gallery was a, as an interesting concept. Um, it's if essentially it's a Elizabethan gym. Um, it's a place <laughs> where you would come up and perambulate. Um, it's predominantly used by the family, um, but you have to remember we're living in um, a period when laundering your clothes is not something that's easily done. You're only going to launder the clothes that you wear close to your skin, so your linens that you're wearing, um, so your shift. Um, any of your outer garments you would spot clean um, or, or dust beat, um, or you'd have your servants to do it for you. Um, but you're not going to go outside when the weather is raining because you're going to ruin your clothes. Um, and in order to actually launder your outer garments, you could be having to take all of the jewellery off, um, undo a huge amount of gold work and things. So you're not going to do that. So in order to be able to still take your exercise, you build yourself a long gallery, which means you can walk up and down a few times. Um, you can have conversations up there. Um, you can use it for a variety of different things. Women may have done embroidery up in long galleries because the light is good, particularly this one. Um, there's a huge amount of windows um, to look out on the landscape from um, in the long gallery here. And it's the perfect place as somebody who does embroidery myself the light up here is great for that sort of thing. Um, yeah, indeed. Men may have um, fenced up here. They would have maybe played games like quoits and skittles and um, bowls and things. I think I would have um, a fencing personally. I know, I quite like the idea of doing some fencing up here. I um, drop the sword, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I would probably do as well. I'd probably have, like, stab myself rather than somebody else. But, um, That's the fun part. Yeah, it's, but it's such a multifunctional space. Um, so even though it's an absolutely enormous space, it's um, it feels quite quite intimate I can feel the sort of echoes of the family and imagine them wandering around and kind of living their life up here it's quite an atmospheric space um, we've also got some really really cool rush matting on the floor up up here in the long gallery um, it's it's uh, um, traditional flooring um, that they would have been using in the period we've got paintings in the house that show people standing on rush matting on their floors and Which it's you can definitely um, smell <laughs> yeah you can smell it. it's such a wonderful smell when you walk up first thing in the morning and we do actually water the rush matting I can smell, um, actually smell it a bit from here now because there's, there's an example piece over there oh that's why I can smell it <laughs> I think I can um, smell it but yeah it's a wonderful smell when you come up first thing in the morning and you're the first person to open the door and you get hit with this this beautiful aroma of, of the rush um, they're eight stranded plats um, so they're um, made from the rush off um, the ones we've got upstairs here are made from the rush off the river ooze in Cambridgeshire um, there's a company that still makes it today and um, it's used in several different um, historic properties so they've got some at Hardwick Hall and things as well yeah. um, but it's a very traditional floor matting fancy houses like this would have had it plaited but sort of more typical sort of country dwellings and things would have used it on the floor just loose scattered around because it's really easy to replace and kind of scoop out get rid of and put some new down and keep your keep your floors nice and clean um, so it's uh, it's a really interesting thing um, we water it to keep it supple um, it makes it extends the life of the actual rush matting, which is uh, so. When I when I explain to visitors here and things like I come up in the morning and I water the rush matting, they all look at me like I'm a slightly crazy person. There's <laughs> <laughs> a reason. We, but we generally we generally do, um, and they do. They also water theirs at Hardwick Hall and things as well. It's recommended. It can really extend the life of the of the mat by quite a considerable amount. So it's definitely worth doing. And it means that it releases that nice smell as well. So, um, and I really like the long gallery because the light is so nice, nice up here. Uh, we've got windows on all four sides. Um, and it really was very much about looking out at the landscape and looking at all um, of the, of the land that Edward Phillips owned. 
um, and, and showing off to any high status guests that you've got as well. Having a long gallery in and of itself was a, was a status symbol. Um, so it's quite a quite a nice place to be. It doesn't look exactly like it would have done. Um, we've lost a lot of the wainscoting wood panelling that would have um, existed around the room. Um, the ceiling is not an original ceiling. It's a much later uh, variation on the ceiling. We don't really know what the original ceiling looked like, but it may very well have been sort of barrel vaulted with. The, we don't know exactly whether or not the ceiling would have been, um, pl had plaster freeze work on it or not, but it was very probably barrel vaulted, um, which would have given the room an entirely different different look. Hello, it's Todd here, back on Summer Valley FM. I'm still with Kim, the collections and house officer of the Montacute House. Um, we've just talked a little bit about the uh, long... Uh, long gallery. Long gallery, yeah. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I went from hallway to gallery to <laughs> staircase. Um, but we're actually going to talk about how you can actually come and visit the Montacute House. So we are, um, if you are in the Midsummer Norton area, we're probably just about just under an hour outside of Midsummer Norton. Um, it's a fairly easy drive to get to as I drove here this morning. Um, yeah, but uh, Kim will tell you more about what you can come and see, what you can come and visit from when you do come down this way. Yeah, so in Montague we've got obviously the house that I've just been talking about. Um, you can come and admire the architecture and um, come and look around, see all the National Portrait Gallery paintings that we've got on display as well as um, look at the collection that um, was donated to us by members of the public um, in the 1940s and 50s when the National Trust put an advert out in the Times to ask for suitable donations to furnish um, what was subsequently then an, an empty house. Um, we've also got some really, really beautiful grounds here. Um, we've um, recently recut um, a Victorian interpretation of an Elizabethan parterre into um, one of the lawns which is um, a really interesting thing to come and see so you can look at it um, at, at level and walk around it and then come up into the house and look at the windows in the long gallery and, and look down on it which is how it would have been intended to be seen. Um, we've also got some really amazing um, sort of more exploratory walks out into the landscape. Um, there's three different walks that will take you, one of them takes you up to St Michael's Hill which is the local um, local hill, there's a sort of tower up there that you can go and see as well. We've got some really nice views around the, around the countryside. Um, and um, just explore what is a really, really lovely area to be in. Um, we have a lovely tea room that has very good ice cream and tea and coffee and cake, <laughs> um, which is a very vital part of uh, the National Trust visit. It's <laughs> <laughs> always, always the case. Exactly. Only, only times for the house, etc. Um, yeah, so the, the house itself opens from 11 until 4.30 every day, last entry at 4 o'clock. Um, but the, um, the sort of wider estate is open from 10 a.m. Um, that's when reception and the car park opens for people until 5.30 at night. Perfect. Well, Kim, thank you very much for joining me today. You're um, welcome. Yeah, uh, hopefully I can come back sometime to... Yeah, definitely. Do, do We'd it. love to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah, do some uh, more information on the house. Yeah. I feel like yeah, we've scratched the surface. Oh, yes, there's so, so much history here. Yeah, well, I look forward to returning um, yeah. at some point in the future. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much.